continue just to be still for a moment and just let God speak to our hearts about anything that's in our life that we just want to surrender to Him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your love towards us. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, any fears, I pray we would surrender them to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, all the things that we hope for, we, we pursue, Lord. Lord, help us to surrender those things to you, Lord. Let, let your will be done and not ours, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that through this day that, Lord, we would truly surrender to you, Lord, as we stand and walk out of this place. That we would stand, hearts surrendered to you. And Lord, let it, to, let it be a going out with joy, Lord. Let us stand and, and, and rise up and, and, and live this life for your name with joy, I pray. Lord, not out of obligation, not out of a sense of what we should do, but Lord, let it be a joy, Lord, as, as we surrender our lives, Lord. Lord, for anyone here today who they've maybe never been in church before, God, but Lord, today they're hearing about your love for us. And that God, that the things that we might hold on to, the things we might be afraid of letting go of, Lord, I pray that we could surrender those things and know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Thank you, Jesus. Have your way in us, Lord, this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. How about you turn to the person beside you and just, well, if, if it's appropriate, you can give them a hug, but you can give them a high five for Jesus. Just say, Great to see you in church this morning. Thank you, Lord. I think, we've, I think I've lost them. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so good to see brothers and sisters loving one another and uh, just loving to catch up with each other. I encourage you to stay around after church and uh, continue to chat then. <laughs> Amen, Darcy. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, just as you take your seats, uh, <laughs> for anyone who hasn't been here the last few weeks, uh, we've been continuing a new series and uh, we're going to try and continue that series today. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, feel free to continue those conversations after church. Thank you. Uh, um, we've, we've been doing a new series, Look at the Life of Paul. And this morning, we've been talking about how as we read the Bible, as we look at the life of Paul, we can be, in a sense, mentored by his life. He said, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I was thinking about it during the week, and I was thinking, you know what? Sometimes we can actually be totally deflated when we are mentored by someone. Sometimes as we look to someone that maybe we will aspire to be like or we might have someone that comes in and gives us some great encouragement, but then we think, oh, I could never be like that. Or you, you look at this person you think, wow, he did this and he did that. And even when he was thrown in prison, he's still singing praises. It's just like, oh, I'm a failure. I could never be like him. And somehow in that conversation between someone 
and a mentor or someone that they're, they're learning about and aspiring to become like, sometimes we can actually be deflated and demotivated. But this morning, if you've felt like that at times, I'm speaking to you this morning. If you felt like, I could never, I can't, I won't, I'll never be able, I give up, I've messed up, I'm not good enough, this, I just can't do this anymore, I'm speaking to you in particular this morning. So I just want to pray before we read Acts chapter 17. Lord God, I just thank you for your love for every person in this place. I thank you, God, that your word is written to us to help us see who you are, to understand your plans, your purposes, Lord, from the beginning right through to Revelation, Lord, that every part of it is to help us understand who you are, to know what you are like, that we might know you, that we might have trust and faith in you, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, this morning as we read your word, as we look at Paul, that, Lord, as we see the things he did, the things he said, the things he wrote, that, God, we would be lifted up, that, God, we would be encouraged, that we would be emboldened, Lord God. Lord, we acknowledge that we struggle at times. Lord, we, we feel like we can't go on. We can't ever become what we should be. We acknowledge that we are sinners who need a Savior. And we thank you, Jesus, that in you that we have a Savior who loves us and cares for us. And just pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you would speak to each heart and life here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at Acts chapter 17. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up, read along. We're going to be looking a bit at Acts 17. And uh, maybe you want to look back and think, oh, hang on, what was happening last chapter? Well, maybe, I, maybe you missed that week. Maybe you haven't caught up on the podcast yet. Uh, encourage you to do that. If you're away, uh, jump on the podcast and listen to the messages. Or if you don't podcast, we still do CDs, don't we, David? CDs, they're wonderful little things. You pick them up and you actually physically put them in a machine and it plays music and sound. It's amazing. Anyway, so Acts chapter 17, just to remind you where Paul's been. He's been from Cyprus, around Antioch and Lystra and Derby and back to Antioch and Jerusalem and back to Antioch. He's been through Galatia. He tries to go to Asia and Bithynia, but they can't go. And later on, Lydia goes to Asia instead. They go to Troas and into Philippi and Macedonia, Thessalonica and Berea. And uh, I remember last week he was looking for the Macedonian man. We never hear a mention of him, but uh, today in Acts 17, we're looking at where they travel down into Athens. So here we go. Um, actually, just before this, um, just to, to summarize briefly the first part of Acts 17, we're not reading the whole chapter, and you all said, oh. The first part of Acts 17, basically they go to Thessalonica and they're preaching in the synagogue and they're sharing and some people rejoice and they believe the message and others get jealous and they get angry and they cause a mob, there's a riot, they get thrown out of town and uh, they go looking for them and they find Jason and some of the other believers and they lock them up instead and, and then they have to pay bond to get out and they go on to the next place which is um, Berea, yeah, and same thing happens, they preach the word, some people rejoice, they, they embrace the message, but then a mob rises up, they want to turf them out of town again, so they take off again, it just continues, has been for 2,000 years, and we get to verse 15, here we are. Those escorting Paul, so he's fleeing from the angry mob, those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. 
While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. I get the picture that there was a lot of discussing and not a lot of conclusions come to there, but anyway... Verse 22, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had the inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. And he goes on in verse 24, he is the God who made the world. And everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. You know, Paul goes into Athens. Sorry, keep reading. (laughs) Verse 32, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Now Paul goes into Athens, and he is deeply troubled by what he sees there. He goes into Athens, he sees these idols everywhere, he sees these people talking about all these ideas and discussing every idea under the sun, and he is deeply troubled, his heart grieves for that place. And before we talk about and think about why he was so deeply troubled, I wonder how do we respond when we see sin? When we see sin, when we see people worshipping false gods, when we see people living lives that have no idea of who God is, that just do their own thing and and sin. When we sin, how do we respond to those things? Do Do we get angry? Do we get sad? 
do we possibly even not react in our heart? Do we get jealous? Maybe you see someone sinning and they, they seem to be getting away with it. They're, they're lying about their income or they're, they're, they're stealing or they're cheating or they're doing whatever they're doing and it seems like they're getting away with it and they're enjoying it. And you're thinking, man, why can't I have a bit of that? I'm sure that's, no, you wouldn't think that. How do we respond when we see sin? I want you to keep thinking about that question. Paul goes into Athens, he sees these idols, he sees these people that are so lost. And his heart is grieved, he's deeply troubled. I think there's three reasons I want to look at this morning. But firstly, he's deeply troubled because he knows God loves them. He knows God loves these people. He knows that Jesus died on the cross for these people. And yet they have no idea who he is. They have no idea what God is like, the God who created them. They have no relationship with Him, and His heart is grieved. He knows God's heart yearns for these people, but they don't know Him. They don't understand His love, and His heart is grieved. It is troubled. Luke chapter 5. Remembering Luke is one of the guys that's traveling around with Paul throughout some of these chapters in Acts and, and writes the book of Acts about Paul's life, Luke says in chapter 5, this is Jesus speaking, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. God's love is for sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is for those around us who are living in sin. Those who have no idea who He is, who, who, who worship false gods, who, who sin with enjoyment day after day. God's love is for them. His heart breaks for them and it grieved Paul to see these people living apart from God. The second reason I think Paul was grieved is because he knows they'd got it wrong. You know, we live in a world that doesn't like to acknowledge that there is a truth. We live in a world where it's, it's nice to discuss different ideas and kind of say, well, we don't know, it's kind of just nice to believe whatever you want to believe and if that helps you, that's nice and that's good. But it doesn't work. Jesus was either the saviour of the world, a madman, or just deluded he, he can't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and, and, and be a good teacher if he's not actually the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus either is who he says he is, or we're all completely deluded, and I would suggest we're not. If you're not sure about that, come and do the Alpha course sometime. Put that on your care card right now. I need to do the Alpha course. They've got it wrong. Paul's heart grieves, as it says in John 14. Jesus says, I am the way. That phrase, I am I am. God is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no way to eternal life other than through Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. His sacrifice for our sin makes it possible for us to be forgiven. We are all sinners. We all deserve judgment. But Jesus took our judgment upon the cross. 
And Paul's heart is grieved, he is troubled, he sees these people worshipping these idols that he knows cannot help them. I think Paul looks around and he sees them discussing all these ideas, he sees all their idols to all these different gods. To be honest, when I was reading this and thinking about it through the week, I was thinking, wow, kind of reminds me when I went to Thailand. Anyone ever been to Thailand? And as you drive down the streets, you see these idols everywhere, incense burning and in fact, you probably don't have to go to Thailand to see altars and, and these things set up in shrines and, and, and idols set up that people worship. I know, speaking to some of you that have come from nations where there's, there's all kinds of worship of ancestors and different things, it's still happening today. It happens in our nation. Maybe it's not so obvious as a gold statue, but people worship all kinds of different things. But as Paul looks around and sees all these things, I just wonder if he saw a glimpse of his old life, but in a very different context. He sees these people trying to do these things that might perhaps gain some favour with the gods. He sees them trying to earn some love, some forgiveness, some uh, blessing from these gods that they don't even know. They don't know, kind of like we, we set up all these altars, but maybe we've missed one. So let's just set up another altar over here. It's like this can be to all the gods we've forgotten because like, we don't want to make anyone angry and maybe we've missed one. So let's just worship that one too, even though we don't know who it is. Paul sees them trying to earn God's favour and his heart is grieved. Let me read again what he says in verse 22 of chapter 17. He says, Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. He acknowledges their, their, their enthusiasm, their, their, their comprehensive uh, nature of their worship. They're doing everything they can to try and please these gods. You are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of them even had this inscription to an unknown god. But this God, the one that you worship without even knowing, this is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God, the God, not a God. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Paul's heart is deeply troubled, and he goes around, it says he goes to the synagogue, and he goes to the public square, and he goes and shares with his Epicurean philosophers and the Stoic philosophers. He goes everywhere he can to try and help them understand, this is the true and living God who made all things, and he loves you. Jesus came because he loves you and he died as the sacrifice for your sins. I think what Paul's saying to them in essence is, you don't have to do this. You don't have to, to do all this idol worship. You don't have to do all these things. And I just imagine Paul saying to them, you know, I was the most zealous of Jews. I was the most passionate Jew. I obeyed every law of the Jews. I was doing everything I thought was important. I did it all. I strived and I strived to become the, the, the best Jewish man I could be. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He did all the things a good Jewish man should do. 
And when these Christians rose up, I was crushing them. I, was, I, I heard them talking about this Jesus and people putting their trust in him and not obeying the Jewish laws. And I persecuted them. I, I did all I can to crush them and to wipe them out. But then I just imagine Paul with tears in his eyes saying, but you know what? I got it wrong. I got it wrong. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have to worship all these idols. You don't have to do all this. Have you ever had one of those moments when you're arguing with someone and you're arguing and you're arguing and, and you get to that point and you go, hang on, you're saying what I'm saying. And they go, no, you said this. And you go, no, I said this. And you're like, no, oh, we're arguing the same thing. You know that moment and you feel so stupid? You're like, but, oh, we're arguing for the same thing and we didn't even realise. But you know what's even worse? When you argue and you argue and you argue and you say exactly what you mean and they're saying exactly what they mean and you're arguing because you disagree and you're arguing and you're arguing and arguing and then suddenly, bang, they say something and you realise, oh my goodness, I actually am wrong. You have a few options then, you can run, you can deny it, you can try and hide it, but in the end, you realise you're wrong. And it's humiliating. You have to eat humble pie and say... I have argued wrongly and you are right and I am wrong. And I encourage you, if you realise you're in that place, eat humble pie and say those words. I'm encouraging myself too. But you know what? Paul had been through the heartbreak of discovering that he was wrong. This Jesus that he had heard about, that he had persecuted, was actually the saviour of the world. He tried to please God by doing and doing and doing and, and obeying the laws of Moses and all those things that God's people had been called to do. He persecuted those who had spoken out about this Jesus and even put them to death. And his heart is breaking saying, guys, I missed it for so long, but I don't want you to miss it. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the way. God doesn't need your surface. He's not some idol that needs propping up and repainting and decorating and, and worshipping. He is the God who created all things and needs no one to serve him, but simply came to serve and love us. Jesus has done it all. Jesus made the way. Jesus is the answer. He is the sacrifice that came and died as the perfect sacrifice once for all sins. As Ed was sharing this morning, He is the one who makes us righteous and holy in God's sight. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. It says, For God's will, His plan, His, His, His will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, who is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. 
Jesus, God in human form, comes as the perfect, sinless man and gives his life on the cross so that sinners like you and I could be set free. His sacrifice, his payment, his ransom for our lives has made the way for us to be saved. God made the world and he has made the way for us to be saved. There's no other way than by what Jesus has done for us. And Paul's saying, guys, don't miss this. Don't think that you can earn God's forgiveness. Don't think that if you, if you be zealous enough, if you worship enough idols and try and please enough gods, that maybe you'll get God's favor and you'll have his blessing and that maybe you'll enter paradise one day. He says, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the savior of all who come to him. The Bible says if we put our trust in Him, if our faith is in Him, He counts it as our righteousness. And I want to say to you this morning, I just want to, I'm going to come to a close shortly. And I want to say to you this morning, if you feel inadequate, if you feel like you are unworthy of God's grace, the good news for you is that Jesus came because we are unworthy of His grace. He came to make us worthy. He came to make us holy and righteous in God's sight. By faith, we become new creations. Jesus, Jesus said, Paul said, repent of your sins, turn away from your sins and come follow after me as I follow Christ. It's not about just make a decision and you've got your ticket. It's about turning away from a life of sin, turn to God, look to him who is the saviour of all people everywhere. Come follow him Learn to live life with Him. Obey His call. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit. And know the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now I think the danger for us today is to become like the prodigal son's older brother. The one who never ran off and wasted his money and time on wild living. That he did the right thing. He did good things. He served the father's... Um, he served the father on the farm. He, he did great things and he worked the farm. He, he stayed there. He was faithful. He did all these things. But then when the prodigal son, the one who's wasted half the inheritance of his father, comes home, he gets angry. He sees this sinner wanting forgiveness and he gets angry. And he says to the father, you never sacrificed the fattened cow for me. You never threw a party for me. I've been here. I've been slaving away. I've done all these things. God, uh, father, I, I did these things. And now you're celebrating because he came home. How dare you celebrate him coming home? And the father looks at his son and says, don't you understand what you had? Don't you understand that I loved you? You were here with me every day. We worked together. We, we, we did things together. I thought you did it because you knew my love for you. But the older son is there the whole time just trying to get something that he already has, the love of his father. We can do and do and do. We can try and serve. We can try and uh, do things to honor God or to serve God. But he doesn't need our service. We are not made right by our serving. We are not made right by the things that we might do for God. Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 talks about on that day of judgment that many will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. We did these things for you, God. God, we did these things 
Don't you acknowledge them? And he says, away from me, I never knew you. It is not about what you do. It is not about what you have done that makes you too unworthy or will ever make you worthy of being his child and forgiven in his sight. It is what Jesus has done for us. He is the saviour of all who come to him. And we can look at James and how faith without works is dead, but the true heart of it is that we come to him with faith in his sacrifice for our sin. I think we can at times be thinking we, 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 we're people of faith, but God accepts us because we're also doing this and doing this and doing this. And God's got to give us some favour because, well, we've done this and this and this. We've sacrificed these things for you, God. So surely I can have some of these things. But it is all about what Jesus has done for us. I think if Paul was among us and he saw that in us at any time, he would say, you don't have to do these things. It doesn't give you your salvation. It's Jesus who gave his life for you that gives you your salvation. If you've ever had a day or a week or a year or a lifetime where you feel like you've messed it up too much, where you are so unworthy that God could never forgive you. I want you to be encouraged. Any moment this week where you feel like, oh, I've messed it up, I'm not worthy of God's forgiveness, I want you to be encouraged and get excited because you've acknowledged, you're realizing that Jesus is the one who's made you worthy. We never were worthy of his love and forgiveness, but Jesus has made us worthy. He's made us holy and righteous in God's sight. He doesn't see your sin any longer. Anyone who comes to him, the old is washed away, the new has come. My prayer is that we would be deeply disturbed by sin, that our hearts would break about sin, that we would not become so accustomed with sin all around us that we just look at sin and go, yeah, whatever. I pray that we would not ever get to that place of seeing people living in sin, not knowing their saviour, and just go, whatever. I pray that we would be deeply disturbed by people's lives who are broken and hurting and without hope because they don't know Jesus. I think of the days where I, I allow myself to get consumed by my insignificance and insufficiency and forget to look at my saviour and how discouraged I become. And these people live their lives day after day after day with any knowledge of a saviour who loves them and gave himself for them. If you have a moment where you start to realise how unworthy you are, begin to lift your hands in worship and say, thank you, Jesus, that you have made me worthy. You have done it all so that I could be set free. I pray that we would be disturbed by sin, but even more, I pray that we would be so filled with joy and excitement that even though we're not worthy, Jesus has made a way for us to have relationship with our Father, God in heaven, the one who loves us with all love, who is love, who has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I pray that you would be so filled with joy and excitement, even in those moments when you think, I am not worthy, God, 
but we will just go, oh, thank you, Jesus, that you have done it all. I acknowledge I am a sinner before you, God, but you have made me holy and righteous and spotless in your sight. I'm going to ask the band to come, and I want to finish just by praying this morning. Thank you, Lord. Actually, before I pray, I just want to read one more passage out of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. That's a good line to remember on those days when it feels like everything is going crazy. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who arise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, not tomorrow, not when you've done enough good things, not when you are in that right place, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Just imagine the king of kings, the universe creator, God of heaven, inviting you into his presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Can you stand today? I just want to pray. And as we stand, let's stand before him. Let's come to Him in surrender and just say thank you. Lord God, as we stand right now, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, through every day that we go through. Lord, whether we're having a a great day and feeling like that that our lives truly are for your glory and and, and, uh, uh, we're living to honour you, God, or whether we're having one of those days when we are just struggling to continue on and, and I just feel like we're unworthy of your grace, Lord. I just thank you, Jesus, that we have a Saviour who loves us, that we were cut off because of our sin, but now we have been set free by the blood of Jesus. That through the cross, we have hope for eternity. Lord, we hate our sin. Lord, we hate giving in to those things that draw us back into that life of sin. But Lord, I pray that you would lead us on from this place full of joy and excitement and hope that you have done it all. That, Lord God, we would live this life for your glory, for your honour. Our desire is to do that, Lord. But, Lord God, that we would go out from this place, seeing every person that you have created with the love that you have for them. 
that, Lord, we would desire that they too would know the hope that we have in you, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And, Lord Jesus, our trust is in you. We believe in you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, for anyone here today who has never understood who you are and what you've done, I thank you, Jesus, at the moment we ask your forgiveness and, and repent of our sins. We turn away from that life of sin. That, Lord, you embrace us back. Lord, you welcome us in. Lord, it's by faith that we are saved. And, Lord, I just pray that anyone in that place today, that, Lord, they would just be able to pray that simple prayer, Lord, forgive me. Help me, Lord, to live this life for your glory. If that's you this morning, we'd love to talk to you and help you in that journey. I'd love to for you to talk to myself or one of the leaders here, and we'd love to help you in that journey. But this morning, let's, let's stand. Let's, maybe you want to lift your hands and surrender as we sing this song, I believe in you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.